Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Clay, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks, Shani. It's about effing time, don't you think? <laughs> you know, and of course, you know, I have to make reference to the fact that for many, many episodes, I pronounced your last name wrong. It's Clay Bear, and I kept calling you Clay Habert or <laughs> Hebert or whatever it was. Uh, you have been the consistent referral source for many, many amazing guests on The Unmistakable Creative. And I am really thrilled that we are finally getting a chance to have you here. And also... Uh, for those of you guys listening, that Clay is a speaker at this year's Instigator Experience because we are in the middle of our Instigator series in which we're unveiling the speakers for our event. I'm super excited to come speak. I'm super excited to have you there. It should be unmistakable for sure. So the a couple of the folks that, that I referred recently, uh, Joey and Jessica, uh, I have not had a chance to listen to their interview, interviews yet, but you said they, they went really well and they were interesting. Everybody you've referred has been absolutely stellar. You've well, never gone wrong. <laughs> or, if, or if I did go wrong, then you didn't have them on the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so you know, on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your background, your story, your journey, and what you do other than referring amazing guests <laughs> to the Unmistakable Creative? I'll, I'll put that on my business card. Chief chief referring officer. Um, yeah, no, I... I uh, I grew up in the Midwest. I went to school at the University of Minnesota, and then I went right into corporate consulting uh, with Accenture, the big four consulting firm from uh, 99, and I was there for 10 years to 2009. About four or five years into that, it was about 2003, and I was flying through the O'Hare Airport, and I tended to read business books on my flights, and uh, I needed another book to read, so I dashed into in an uh, airport bookstore while they were calling my name for my flight. And uh, I found this strange-looking little purple book and grabbed it and finished it on my flight. And that book was Purple Cow by Seth Godin, which sort of climbed into my head and, and made me realize there was a different way to think about, about work and marketing and life and shipping and important things like that. So um, I was excited not because I was going to run to Accenture and quit my job, but because I thought I was going to bring this way of thinking inside of Accenture, inside of this career that I had, that, that they seemed to like me and I liked them. So from 2003 to 2008, 2009, I, I attempted to do that with some wins and some losses. But um, that organization, that type of organization is really structured for kind of interchangeable people. Uh, so they train you so that they can pull you off one project and staff you on another one and pull you from New York and staff you in Chicago. And so they weren't extremely interested in, in the innovation and creativity and entrepreneurial piece of that. So um, in 2000, end of 2008, uh, I read a blog post from Seth uh, 
I, I went home after I bought the book and subscribed to his blog and but, uh, bought all the rest of his books. And then from there, I found Clue Train Manifesto and some other some other books. So I was I was pretty deep into this stuff, but it was mostly kind of nights and weekends, as I called it. Um, I had I had my day job, which was a lot to do with spreadsheets and clients and uh, pharmaceutical pricing, and then I had this nights and weekends thing. And uh, at the end of 2008, Seth blogged about an opportunity, and he said, "If you could change your life, would you?" And I was very much trying to, to change my life because the future at Accenture was not uh, exactly the future I wanted for my career. So. I applied and I got in and I got a chance to study with Seth for six months in 2009. And that was January through July of 2009. And then from then, I've been helping uh, big companies with marketing strategy, digital, understanding the web, understanding how to tell stories. And uh, since about January of 2012, I've been helping a lot of entrepreneurs with crowdfunding. So Kickstarter, Indiegogo, um, in the last almost three years now, I've helped about 80 projects, I raised a little over $20 million uh, using platforms, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and other crowdfunding platforms. So that's been a lot of fun. I love entrepreneurs. I think entrepreneurship is the future, and I love helping entrepreneurs kind of fund their dreams. Hmm. Well, let's do this. Let's go back. Uh, before you even started Accenture, sure. I, I actually want to know uh, about early influences in your life, childhood, you know, cultural influences, things that have shaped how you see the world and who you are today. Yeah. So my, my dad was an entrepreneur. He, um, both my parents went to Marquette, they met at Marquette and my dad owned a furniture store when we were growing up. So, um, we would help him deliver furniture. We were the the elves and the that would climb in the back of his his truck and and uh, you know he had he had the store that sold the furniture and then we'd we'd often deliver it ourselves and so I learned a bit about um, you know what it's like to be your own boss from him and and that I wish um, you know I could go back and, and kind of knowing what I know now about marketing and storytelling and pricing and kind of help him with with that business but I learned a lot from him as far as. Um, you know what it was like when he when he graduated college. He worked at a at a foundry and he was a foreman and kind of moved up pretty quick. But but realized he wanted to be his own boss, so he did that. Um, and my mom is a, a therapist and she taught me a lot about how to how to treat people and uh, and you know the importance of of relationships and communication. Um, my um, there's a there's a picture. I'll try to find it. Maybe we can put it in the show notes if I can dig it up. Uh, me and my older brother, younger brother, I have two brothers, one older, one younger. And, um, we had a, a band, you know, in air quotes, a band when we were younger, it was more just a single afternoon in our youth in downstairs where my older brother had a, a drum set and the younger brother grabbed some hat guitar or whatever that was laying around. And if you asked what, what instrument I was playing in the picture, I had dragged a desk onto the stage and I had a phone with, you know, a corded phone with the desk and I was making calls trying to book the band. So I think there was maybe a, a hint of entrepreneurial leanings uh, because instead of opting for the, you know, the bass or the saxophone, I, I uh, did that. But um, yeah, I was always interested in business and I thought I was going to be uh, international businessman. I actually studied Japanese in high school and in, in speaking of, influences in high school my my japanese teacher peggy hagman was was one of the two best teachers i've ever had 
and totally got me to fall in love with the Japanese language and culture. And so I took Japanese for four years in high school and then minored in it in college. And so um, I always thought it was going to be the, the, you know, American Japanese international businessman. But when I went to college, it was kind of the opposite. It was one of the worst teachers I'd ever had in college. So I ended up finishing up the minor, but I didn't continue on with the Japanese. Mm. So uh, let me ask you this. This is probably a question I never asked anybody before. Uh, yeah, I mean, you come from a family of entrepreneurs and yet you went to work at Accenture. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think partially because of that. So we also, my dad is extremely smart, extremely hardworking. Um, and yet the business that he was in was not successful. The furniture business ended up not making it. And we, uh, I think me, my older brother and my younger brother all saw that and said, well, we don't want that. We don't want the, um, instability or potential, you know, uh, lack of success from that. And so when we graduated college and had that, that big, safe, stable corporate job, we all sort of grabbed onto it and, uh, and stuck with it. So that's, that, probably explains why I was at Accenture for a full a full 10 years but I think the world has changed a lot since 1999. Yeah, no doubt. Well, well let me ask you this. Uh do you think that what you saw was your dad in what Seth Godin calls the dip? And if so, how do you navigate those kinds of moments? Yeah, it's really it's really tricky. I think with my dad, I mean, he did so many things right about the business, but part of it was just people in Eau Claire, Wisconsin weren't ready for really, really high-end oak furniture, you know, and understanding marketing and, and pricing and overhead, right? He he wasn't a marketer. He wasn't a, a creative guy, but he was, you know, Zappos level on, on customer service and things like that. So um, I don't know if it was a dip so much as just not necessarily, m- maybe it was timing, you know, wrong, wrong market. Eau Claire is not a, not a huge town, but um, I, I think, like you said, the book, the dip that I would recommend everybody go read. It's a really short, quick book or, or pick up the audio book. You know, what Seth talks about is being able to recognize this point where, uh, the, the example that he uses that I think is, is perfect is organic chemistry is the dip. If you want to be a doctor and you want to go to med school and you're pre-med organic chemistry is the really, really tough class that you have to get through. And so the point of the dip is, understand what the dip looks like before you start. And I think, you know, we, we've talked about this training. It's really hard. Sometimes it's really hard to do that because you don't know where the dip is going to be. But I think if you have conversations with people who've been there and people who've done that and say, okay, what is the dip in this business? What is the dip in it? The dip in becoming a doctor is organic chemistry. If you can get through that, you know, the rest of med school won't be any harder than that. Right. But if the point is, if you can look and say, you know what, I'm not going to make it through organic chemistry, then the better thing to do is not to, not to fail at that point, but not to even start and, and to do something else and focus your efforts on that. So I think it's um, really, really important as we start these new ventures to talk about what it looks like for two, three years and five years and not to only talk about the worst case scenario, but to talk about the best case scenario. I've been working with a lot of startups and entrepreneurs lately, and they they have sometimes they sometimes have just as many problems on the upside as they do on the downside where maybe they didn't they didn't plan for that kind of success or they didn't plan for that kind of time away from their family so i think it's important to look at both well you know it's interesting because i think the dip often can occur right after one of our big breakout moments i definitely have had it uh post instigator post 
the launch of the unmistakable, uh, the art of being unmistakable, which a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, I think using those successes as like because it, it, there is a, a bit of a hangover, right? When you have a big success like that, and then you got to figure out what the next thing is or, or where do you go because the market doesn't really care that you just had this big thing or that you're exhausted from putting together this conference. Uh, but as an entrepreneur, you got to figure out where that fits in your overall plan and can you use that you know success to be the stepping stone to the next thing. But I think consistently showing up, you know, like you do and and doing your show and these people that continue to show up, it's a little bit like, you know, building stairs that you then get to get to walk up. Right. Mm, Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's do this. Let's talk about that moment when you walk into the bookstore and you pick up this book. Yeah, I I love books and I've always loved books. I don't I think I got some of that maybe from my from my dad and my mom as well. It's just the love of of reading. Um and I would always read these business books, but they were always pretty dry. It was kind of the Harvard stuff. It was maybe Jack Well. It was all and, and I you know, I was four years into Accenture with, with that being kind of my worldview, and so I thought that that's what business meant. And I was just thrilled that this you know, I finished the book before the plane even landed. And then, like I said, immediately ordered, you know, the rest of Seth's stuff. And it was just a way to say, look, you can, you can do business. You can think about business, but in this more creative, more entrepreneurial, more innovative mindset. And he, even in 2003, he was saying some things that, you know, were definitely against the grain from sort of what I was hearing inside the business world, inside of Accenture, inside of big four consulting. Um, and so I, I've always, or, just since then, I've really, really tried to seek out and then, you know, obviously go much beyond Seth and find other voices. And, you know, we talked about Mitch Joel and, and other creatives and, and Mark Cuban and just trying to, to seek and search out other people that are, that are um, understanding that the status quo is not, uh, not going to be successful. I mean, I remember going to Accenture and explaining to them the importance of digital and online and social. This is back in 2007, 2008. And the folks that I was working for just, they didn't, they didn't see it because they weren't uh, supposed to see it right Their Their job was to serve the sort of pharmaceutical clients day to day. Um, I remember I was the first person on Yammer at Accenture back when Yammer was Twitter for the enterprise, not Facebook for the enterprise, which it is now. And it was really interesting because I signed up and then nobody else was there. So it was kind of like being the first person on Twitter. Um, you know, I said, hey, what's up? But there was nobody on the other end. And the folks I was talking to, I, part of it's my fault. I didn't have a great way to articulate that, hey, this is really important stuff. This is going to be really important. I'd been reading the books and the blogs about it for four or five years, but I wasn't good at explaining how it was going to impact our business. And now when I go back and talk to my friends at Accenture, you know, they said, oh, yeah, we have a whole you know, entire division called Accenture Interactive that, that deals with that stuff. So, I mean, these these trends come, but part of it takes being able to learn how to see uh, how it's going to impact your business, you know, going forward. So, let me ask you this. How do you recognize moments like the ones when you picked up that book? Because it sounds like that was a pivotal moment in your life. I don't think you can recognize or plan for them ahead of time. I think... It's one of those things where if you're the kind of person that always seeks out new knowledge, right? There's pretty much two kinds of people in this world, and you can draw this this line on a lot of different things. But 
there, there are people that are sponges for knowledge and new things and new ideas and being willing to entertain new ideas. And there are people that are not. And it's not a family thing. Um, you know, both my older brother and my younger brother are still in their stable corporate, you know, stable in quotes, uh, corporate jobs. And, and they think I'm crazy to have quit this partner track job at Accenture. So it's not like it's a, you know, nature nurture kind of thing. I think the, the key wasn't picking up the book. The key was being the kind of person who would pick up the book, being the kind of person who would try a new book on a whim and not, get the 13th Michael Crichton book because that's the safe fiction book to read on the flight or being able to try the small purple book at the bookstore. So I think the key is becoming the kind of person that takes those chances, not the, the actual moment. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, how do you become that kind of person? I think you have to, realize that the cost of failing small is smaller than it's ever been. So I always talk about, you know, I talk a lot about crowdfunding and I say, you know, crowdfunding is bringing the cost of failure to zero. Um, and, and there's a lot of kind of entrepreneurial platitudes about failure being the best teacher and, and all these things. And a lot, and a lot of that stuff is true, but, um, becoming the kind of person that's okay with failing and realizing that you get to get up the next day and you get to do it. You know, uh, I think Seth talks about Saturday night live. Well, the key word in Saturday night live is it's live. It goes on live every time. And sometimes they have bad shows and sometimes they have bad seasons and bad years, Yeah, but it's live every Saturday. And that's why it's successful because every Saturday it goes on. They don't tape it, review it. And if it sucks, they don't publish it. Right. That's what, that's the way most of us live our lives. Mm. And it works because it's live kind of like you, you consistently, ship your show, um, every time. And I think becoming the kind of person, uh, you know, that, that is okay with failure that realizes that if, you know, Seth says this as well, if failure is not an option, then neither is success. You cannot de-risk everything completely. You have to be willing to fail to do anything important or anything interesting. Hmm. So I want to talk briefly about your time at Accenture and then we're going to really shift gears here. Uh, sure. you know, I have a feeling there are a lot of people in the world who are in situations that are very similar to the one that you are in. They're watching the world around them change, and they can't convince anybody that we need to pay attention to how the world is changing. So what I'd love is for you to talk about that time and how you dealt with it both from an emotional, social, and business perspective. Sure, absolutely. There was one specific thing, and, and I think it, Seth was even talking about this back then, so I had the the fortunate uh, position of having heard him talk about, well, my boss won't let me, which is, which is the feedback he gets with a lot of his ideas. And <clears throat> his response to that was a pretty specific uh, you know, plan, which was, your job when your boss, you know, first of all, of course, your boss won't let you because if you fail with this interesting initiative, it comes down on your boss's head and then that could be bad for them and maybe they get fired. And so the only way to do it is to say, you get none of the, um, you get all the credit and none of the blame to, to your boss. You know, you go, you say, I'm going to try this thing. If it fails completely, you put it all on me and I'll make sure to take all the blame. And if it succeeds, then you win. And so I actually heard that and then I did that inside of Accenture. So one of the things we did was 
my boss's boss, two levels up, was the global head of the pharma organization in, in the U.S. Um, so clients like Pfizer and Wyeth and things like that. So <clears throat> even back then, this is 2006 or so, uh, I realized that there was a better way to do presentations. There was a better way to do PowerPoint. Um, the Accenture PowerPoint template at the time, we had Tiger Woods on it. That was our, our sponsor. And uh, or Accenture was a sponsor of Tiger Woods. And so we had these bullet points, you know, 12-point, 6-point, 8-point font, and you know, these unreadable things. And, of course, you had the dreaded sort of slide unit. Well, from Seth, I discovered Gar Reynolds and Nancy Duarte and Slideology and Resonate and all that stuff. And so I knew there was a better way to design slides. And so I went to my boss and I said, I knew we had this big sort of presentation coming up. So I said, Tom, let me design your slides for this this huge conference. He said, okay, that's fine. So he um, gave me the outline, and then I came back to him with a slide with a slide deck with basically no words on it. It was just pictures, pictures of this cliff to represent the pharma cliff, pictures of a prescription bottle with cash coming out of it. And he said, I can't present this. There's no words on it. And I said, you know, just trust me. So we worked on it, we iterated it. And when Tom finally presented it at the big Oracle CRM conference, people all came up to him and they sent him emails and they said, wow, amazing presentation. Will you come give it at Pfizer? Will you come give it at Merck? And so that was one of my sort of small wins inside of Accenture um, where just by changing the design of how we presented our slides, uh, we were able to get meetings and get business that we wouldn't have gotten before. Now, the reason that was a small success and not a large success is that it didn't change the way how Accenture designs their slides, you know, <laughs> across the quarter million people that work there. Um, but, but it did have an impact there. So I think that was one thing where I decided and said, I'm going to stick my neck out. I'm going to say, if this fails completely, you can completely blame it on me. Uh, you know, and if it succeeds, you can take all the credit. And after a while, he stopped forwarding me all the emails of the of the people that said, "Wow, you know, amazing presentation." He was really thrilled, you know, that we did it that way. So let me ask you this: Yeah, what made you finally leave, and what keeps people from taking that kind of a leap? Yeah, it was it was really hard. The thing was, after discovering all this stuff, and after discovering Seth's work and all these other things. I knew that I wanted to be in innovation and marketing and entrepreneurship. And like, like I said, I tried to do that inside of Accenture, but it was very much not the right Petri dish, not the right structure to do that. And so I was actually kind of trying to leave for a couple of years or at the very least trying to change my role or trying to get more into marketing. I tried to transfer internally into the Accenture marketing team and they didn't allow that. I tried, um, to apply for other marketing jobs outside of Accenture, but I had basically zero true marketing experience back then. And so it was really hard. I was stuck in this thing where, um, and this is a good sort of warning for someone who's going into one of those, you know, again, stable in air quotes kind of jobs is <clears throat> if you're not doing exactly what you want to do, be careful because you're getting, the pigeonhole is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. I was 10 years <laughs> into uh, one specific kind of was a big four consulting, you know, working with clients. And then even then specifically in the healthcare industry, which I wasn't extremely interested in. And because I was doing what you needed to do to get the raise and to get the promotion and get to the next level, I was getting deeper and deeper into this hole. And when I wanted to, you know, 
change to marketing, it wasn't possible. Literally, the internal Accenture wouldn't let me transfer to the marketing department because they said, no, that's not what you do. And so um, the the leaving part, I mean, the, the Seth Godin MBA was my perfect sort of lily pad to actually leave Accenture and transition into the career that I knew I wanted to do and that, I, that I'm still doing today. And you were the very first of Seth Godin's alternative MBA students, weren't you? Yeah, there was nine of us in 2009. I mean, he's done a lot of different programs throughout the years. He's had other kind of shorter um, programs, uh, shorter than six months for sure, some before us and quite a few after us. He had the Domino Project, which was six months, um, which was more a, a work kind of publishing venture. But that was the only time he did the, the six-month MBA. And yeah, that was that was the first one. And it was it was really amazing. Well, let's let's get into detail about that because I'm sure a lot of people want to know about you know what that experience was like, how that sort of has shifted your worldview, what it's like to work with Seth, uh, and, and kind of you know how that has influenced your life after that. Yeah, it was really my uh, my big sort of life life pivot. Uh, a mutual friend of ours is, is working on a book. Jenny Blake is working on a book uh, about the life the life pivot and. Uh, that was really my, like I said, my way out, my my way to do it, and it was it was hard because the the feedback I got when I told friends and family I was doing this, and you know, to be fair, everyone had the my best interests in mind, but it really goes to show the difference in worldview and the difference in understanding. Some people who had heard me talking about sort of Seth and his books and his work for years said, wow, that's amazing. What a great opportunity. Then you had people in the middle who were like, Seth who? Question mark. Didn't, didn't know him, didn't know his stuff. And then you had people on the other side who were sort of more of this um, traditional status quo mentality that said, Clay, how can you possibly get you know the next promotion at Accenture as partner? How could you walk away from that for this unpaid internship with this bald guy in New York? So you know that was the the sort of spectrum of understanding among my friends and family and colleagues about about this opportunity um but luckily i had you know been uh you know studying the stuff enough to know that it was basically the, the what i told myself was any job that i would ever want the rest of my life they're going to value 6 months with Seth Godin more than they're going to value being an Accenture partner which was kind of the other choice and so that really made it fairly easy. Now I had to move across the country and quit this 10-year career and everything else. But to me, it was a little bit like, um, you know, if Roger Federer said, you know, do you want six months of tennis lessons? Or if Steve Jobs said, you want to hack in my basement on this computer project for six months? I mean, it was, once I got accepted, you know, saying yes was was absolutely a no-brainer. Now, what I did is I took a six-month leave of absence from Accenture for the program. And then at the end of July, you know, I had this opportunity and they said, Oh, you should come back. We'll give you a raise, et cetera, et cetera. And quitting that was really hard. I I will completely admit totally transparently. It was a real struggle because this, uh, you know, 10 year safe career, good six figure salary, et cetera, et cetera. Um, walking away from that, you know, didn't come officially quitting and officially sort of turning in my papers and things like that didn't officially come until after the Seth program. And 
the other alternative, you know, the the other palm was empty. I had no clients and no revenue and no health insurance, and I didn't know for sure that I could do it and that I could make it as a freelancer and then an entrepreneur. And so it, it was still really hard. But the thing that I think got me to be able to do it and sort of rip the bandaid off was, okay, let's say you do this, you have some savings, and let's say everything goes belly up. Let's say everything goes pear shaped, and in a year. It fails and you can't get clients and you don't know what you're doing. Can you go back to Accenture at that point? And I knew the answer was yes. So that's that's actually what made it really easy is that um, most of these types of jobs, if they want you, you know, they, they they needed me to bill me out to the client and to sell more work. And so they would have happily taken me, you know, a year later. Hmm. What if you don't know that the answer is yes? Yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, I, you got to be... Um, I think there's so much opportunity out there to, you know, I, I always, I, I joke that the best $10 gift you can give anyone, any kid, any, you know, especially any child, uh, is their own domain name. You know, it, <laughs> it, it's surprising to me. I, I wrote a blog post about this a long time ago. And even Michael Hyatt, who now, you know, obviously has his book platform and everything else. He, you know, he, even back then he had michaelhyatt.com, but he hadn't thought about it for his kids and said, Oh my gosh, I'd, he commented on the post and said, that's a really great idea. That's really important. I just went and bought all my kids' domain names. And I think the opportunity we have is to um, build this personal brand in a way that it's like your own domain name can be an etch-a-sketch uh, for your career, for your life, where if you don't like what you've drawn, you can kind of tip it upside down and shake it up, right? You can you can reboot and do a reinstall of WordPress and wipe everything clean or or you can do whatever, you know. And, and so I think especially for young people, especially for anyone who's listening to this in college or just after college or if you're trying to find your way, you know, you should have your name.com because first of all, whenever anyone, uh, when, when you apply to any job, mostly now it's required by law, but even where it's not required by law, they will Google you. They will search your name. And the first thing that's going to come up is your domain name. And so you get to tell the story of who you are. If you are a writer, you should have a blog where you do your writing like, like you do, Srini. If you're a photographer, you should have your portfolio on there. And um, I think you're... Hey, Clay, I lost you. Fuck. Yo. Still there? Yeah. Go, go pick it up from... Uh, okay. I think if you're a writer. Oh, okay. No worries. Um, so I think, you know, if you're a writer the best thing you can do is to have a blog with your writing. And if you're a photographer, the best thing you can do is to have a site with your, you know, photographs that you take. There's lots of people who've um, just been putting their work out in the world. If, if you're a musician, you should have your music up on SoundCloud and be sharing it with the world. But the beauty of a domain name is if, if you change and you go from being, you know, a writer to a photographer, you can, you can just start fresh. You can start new. Um, and to me, that's, Every single person who's listening to this, if you don't have your own domain name, that's what I would start for $10 a year and a little bit of hosting. You know, throw up a Squarespace site, throw up a, a WordPress site. There's a new platform. I don't know if you've seen it, Trini, called The Grid that's coming next year that's uh, artificial intelligence. But there's no excuse not to have your own sort of place on the web and, uh, and place that represents who you are. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. So... One of the things that I'm always curious about, because we've had several people here who've worked with Seth. We've had Amber Ray. We've had Willie Jackson. All, amazingly enough, people who probably you referred. Uh, I mean, how did working with Seth change the way you see the world? A lot. Um, it it changed the way I saw. Now, now what's interesting is the content that he taught us, like the actual things that he taught us. It was not about the content so much as it was about the the method of of teaching and the method of learning. He didn't 
you know, save any specific content for this six month MBA program. I mean, if somebody's read all of his blog posts and all of his books and seen his, you know, keynote talks, it's the same kind of content, right? He didn't save anything special. So I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like there was a specific vault of set the brain that we got access to, but it was getting it in person from someone who's so smart and so generous and just the way that he taught the class, the way it worked was we would show up about 9am. Um, he would cook most of the meals, you know, in addition to being the teacher, he was the chef, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> he, he makes a really good uh, pizza on the grill in the summertime. Um, but we would show up about 9am and then there would be like a topic for the day. That's how fast we moved. So at the university of Minnesota, when I went to business undergrad, you know, I studied management accounting for 12 weeks. Seth didn't cover management accounting in 12 weeks. He covered everything about financial statements in one day. So, you know, accounting, balance sheet, income statement, why it's important, what to learn, what to know. Now, of course, he didn't go as deep, but part of his point was you don't need to go as deep. You need to have a general understanding about why it's important, and you need to be able to know where to look if you need more information, and you need to be able to know how to work with and hire people who are good at it. Um, because you're probably not the right person to do it. And then we, so if each day was a different topic, each week was maybe a different general theme. So maybe there was a week that was a theme of design. And on one day he would cover typography. And a couple hours later, we would know a ton more about typography. And then there would be like a live sort of workshop or work with partners. Um, let's say redesign a flyer. He grabbed the flyer that was the flyer that was there to represent the building that, that we met in, uh, that was just a marketing thing. And he just put it on the table and he said, here, redesign this flyer. And of course everyone had questions. Should we use Photoshop? Should we use whatever? He said, I don't care what you use, just redesign the flyer. And then we had, you know, an hour to do it, to work with our partner. And some people did it with hand sketches and some people did it with Photoshop and whatever. And then we went around and explained why we made the choices we made and why we used the typography we did and the colors and everything else. And so it was a very interactive learning experience. But the next day it was on to a whole nother thing, right? Typography was one day and then we were done. But I know a lot more about typography now than I used to. And I also knew which books and which blogs and everything else to go read, right? I went deeper on my own. So each day was kind of a nugget of a topic and then maybe kind of loosely organized around themes. Um, but it was, it was, Real, the most eye-opening thing to me was realizing that there's a much better way to teach and a much better way to, to be taught. Hmm. So l let me ask you this. Uh, so taking all these experiences and connecting them together, what would you describe as sort of the through line of your career or what you do in the world now? Hmm. Well, it's interesting. What I say I do now when people ask, um, and this is something I've worked with some entrepreneurs on with lately, is um, I say I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams because I think there's this really interesting way to kind of introduce yourself in, in six words or less, which is I and then some version of the word help and then some version of uh, or you know the person that you help or your client or, or whoever it is that you serve and then whatever result you help them achieve. And so Last few years, I've been really focusing on crowdfunding, and it's 
all about helping entrepreneurs fund their dreams. So if someone asked me what I do, I used to sort of kick the dirt and look over their shoulder and talk about Accenture and mumble something about marketing and everything else. Like most of us, when we get asked what we do about a hundred times a year and we, most of us don't have a very good answer and most of our answers are too long. They're too vague. They're not specific enough. Um, and so I, I created this and I'm sure it's influenced by a bunch of different things, but created this simple kind of six word intro. Um, for myself, and then I've helped a lot of other entrepreneurs, and some of them like it so much that that's what they put on their website. You know, I uh, one woman creates events. Her name's Melanie Warner, and uh, she had the word trucking on her website. It was like you don't. I'm like Melanie, you don't do trucking. She's like, well, I if if the entrepreneur if the event coordinator needs it, we'll do that. And I said, no. What do you do? And she talked about her events, and so we got her intro down to I create events people remember. And so now that's on you know her business card and on her website. And so, yeah, I say I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. I think that's really the through line is the part that was missing from Accenture was the entrepreneurial piece and the creative piece. And now I get to do that both with advising startups and, and helping individual entrepreneurs and then all the crowdfunding stuff. How do we connect the dots in our own lives and our own careers to figure out our own through line? One thing I learned from Seth about that is it's really important to wake up and decide what a really perfect, start with perfect, and then you can dial back from perfect, but what does your perfect day look like? And I don't mean laying by the pool and being fed grapes by Victoria's Secret models, but I mean, what what does your perfect day look like? Assuming that you are going to work, assuming you go to work and do these things, you know, and then what is it, what does a good week look like? And what does a good month look like? And the, instead of thinking, I want to be in real estate. So if you think about people in real estate, there's different kinds of roles, right? So one woman might be driving around in her Mercedes convertibles, showing people million dollar condos in Manhattan, having, you know, salads and Chardonnay for lunch. Well, the other guy working on the big real estate website might be coding in Ruby on rails and sitting in the basement with headphones on. Now, her day and his day are nothing like each other. And if you flipped them around, neither one of them would last until noon. But they've both managed to live in what they consider to be kind of their perfect day, where the person who's showing condos loves to show condos, and the person who has headphones on and coding in Ruby on Rails, that's what he likes to do. And so I think it's important for people to not think, how do I make money? What industry do I want to be in? But what does a great day look like for me? What does a great week look like for me? What does a great month and a year look like for me? You know, how often do you want to travel? Do you want to do public speaking? How many of those public speaking gigs are paid versus free? Those kinds of questions and then lay that out and then really back into, or to your point, connect the dots and say like, what kind of career can I craft that gets me as close as possible to this perfect day? So how do you bridge the gap between the perfect day and the life you're living now? I think it's a little bit like at Accenture, we would do the, the as is and the to be. So we would go into a client and say, how are things working? What do you do today? Blah, blah, blah. And we'd make all these big process flows. And then we'd say, this is the more efficient, better process in the future and kind of figure out the Delta. And so I think for a lot of people, it hopefully it's, it's pretty clear that if they say, well, I want to be, I want to be speaking once a month. And if you're speaking once a year, you know, then you got to figure out how to get more speaking gigs, I think. Um, but but it's important, too, to know 
who's done this before, right? Almost none of us are trying to reinvent a completely new business model or a completely new type of career path. Nobody, you know, certainly people have done it in the past, but not, I don't think many of us are trying to say, I'm going to have a career that looks like nobody else's career ever. So then the challenge is to figure out who's done that before and what did they do to make that happen? What meetings did they have? Who did they know? Um, what kind of content do you have to produce and, uh, you know, connect the dots from there? Hmm. Well, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Yeah. Let's start talking specifically uh, about the work that you do today. Raising $20 million via crowdfunding is no joke. There's a lot of VCs who probably would kill for the track record that you've had. Not only that, I've seen some of the crowdfunding campaigns you've done. Almost every one of them has been a success rate. Have you had a failure, just out of curiosity? I had one call with a guy who... uh it wasn't really a client. It was more a favor to a friend and they didn't really take the, the marketing advice. We fixed up the page and he, we actually got his conversion and we can talk about the, the two reasons why any project succeeds or fails, but we got his conversion really high, but then he wasn't willing to do the online marketing piece. He was a musician and he wanted to hand out glossy flyers around Venice beach and thought that by handing people glossy flyers, they would go home and punch in his Kickstarter URL on their computer. So one failure out of uh, yeah, 86 or 87 projects. Wow. That is mind-blowing. Well, well let's, let, let's talk about that specifically because uh, that's a big part of what you're going to be talking about at the Instigator Experience. And I, I want to give people a little teaser of what they can expect. But uh, talk to us specifically about how all of this connected together to th- you saying – this is it. This is the thing that I'm going to be known for. I mean, you helped Seth on his his Kickstarter campaign for Lynchpin. Your track record is phenomenal. AJ Leon, who's been a former guest here, says that you're an absolute crowdfunding genius. So tell us about some of these projects. And then I want to talk on a more meta level about the, the media landscape today, the landscape for the creative, the landscape for the individual because I think that's that's such an important thing in the world that we live in today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, let's get into that and the and the gatekeepers and changing role of gatekeepers. But yeah, it was it was January of 2012. I was in Hawaii with my girlfriend Julia and the phone rang and it was a a woman who I didn't even know at the time. She was a friend of a former client and she said my Kickstarter campaign is live and it's struggling and I don't know what to do and you know the internet because she was not uh a tech savvy internet person. She was a, a documentary filmmaker and her project was about a documentary film. And so, um, I initially didn't want to do it. I didn't want to take the client. Uh, we were sort of enjoying a vacation in Hawaii, but then she said, well, just check out the, check out the project, check out the trailer. And so I watched the trailer and it was, uh, gold star children is, is the name of her film and her Kickstarter project. And the Kickstarter video is just the trailer of the film. And I didn't know the term at the time, but a gold star child is a child who's lost a parent at war. And so the the film was about Mitty connecting her generation with the generation of children who are losing or lost parents in Iraq and Afghanistan. She lost her dad in Vietnam a few hours after she was born. And so total tearjerker of a trailer. I said, absolutely, I'll help you with your Kickstarter. I'll do what I can. And it was the first campaign that I ever helped. And so we put it in front of the right people, um, which goes to the two reasons why any project succeeds or fails, which is traffic or conversion. 
Um, and so she had pretty good conversion. Most of the people that came to the project, uh, you know, backed it, but she just didn't know how to get the campaign itself in front of enough people and in front of the right people. And so obviously with a film like that, the target is military families are the people that care the most. And so we worked over the course of the next 10 days to get the project in front of the right military families on Facebook and using some other tactics and managed to go from 30% funded with 12 days to go to 113% funded before it ended. Um, it wasn't a huge goal. It was like $30,000. I think she needed to finish the documentary. Um, but then one project turned into two and three and five and I told friends and pretty soon, you know, people started to hear that I knew what I was doing when it came to Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And so, uh, a lot of word or mouth referrals like AJ, like you mentioned. Um, and the, the reason I think I'm good at it is because basically Kickstarter is marketing. Good, good crowdfunding is good marketing. If you look at it, it's kind of the, a Kickstarter page is like the ultimate mixing board for a smart marketer, right? If you think about a, a music room or, you know, the, there's four Beatles on the other side of the glass, but there's a million knobs on the mixing board. And that's sort of how I see crowdfunding is all the things that good marketers know how to leverage. So storytelling, pricing, scarcity, urgency, copywriting, they're all in one page that the customer knows how to use. So you can turn the knobs. You can say this one, there's only three available and the urgency is sort of built in with the 30 day thing and the storytelling is the video. And so it's, to me, it's kind of a, I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store because I love marketing and I love figuring out, you know, what consumers will do and what stories resonate and crowdfunding is kind of the perfect vehicle for that. So that's why I kind of jumped into the deep end and, and started helping all these projects. But yeah, I've learned, learned a lot. Didn't, um, certainly like anything, the first project was probably the worst and the second one got a little better and a little better. And, and now I've definitely learned sort of what works and came up with some, um, some tactics and strategies. Basically it comes down to traffic and conversion. And all that means is traffic is simply how many people see your campaign or click play on your video. And then conversion is just the percentage of people that do that, that then back your project and every element, every tactic and tip and strategy that I, I work with either helps, um, you know, traffic or conversion or in, in the case of a few, it helps both. Well, yeah, I mean, your track record is, is beyond stellar. Um, and, and largely this is what you're going to be speaking about at the instigator experience. So I don't want to get into too much detail about tactical stuff, but really, you know, I think that the, the more interesting thing for me is the overall landscape of the internet and the world we live in today and what this means for everybody. Yeah. What it means is every single gatekeeper has lost their power and the only person who can stop you is you because the, if you think about Eric Mijakovsky, he went to every venture capitalist in the Valley with his idea for the pebble watch. And they all said, get out of my office. This is stupid. Nobody wants a smartwatch. And then he went on Kickstarter and he told a really great story and had some great early bird pricing. He raised over $10 million. Now he's not rich. He's not on an Island somewhere with that $10 million. He had to actually, that's a good example of planning for the best case scenario is he had such a, production issue that many of the pebble watches shipped late. But the point is 
those gatekeepers in Silicon Valley who thought they were so smart, who said nobody wanted a smartwatch. Well, the market spoke, and he went. To, he used this platform to go directly to the market and tell a story directly to the consumer. So the gatekeepers are losing their power. They're they're dying. They won't they won't completely die. It's I'm glad there are gatekeepers for heart surgeons and brain surgeons and airline pilots, but. If it's for an entrepreneurial or creative endeavor, it's a really bad time to be a gatekeeper. And if you're an entrepreneur or a creative, it's a really good time to ignore the gatekeepers, right? You didn't need uh, approval from a big radio station to start your podcast. You just did it. You figured it out, right? My friend Marie Forleo has this great quote that says, everything is figure outable. And even though it's kind of a, uh, a funny little quote, I think it's really true, right? You can figure out how to launch a podcast. You can figure out how to do these things. And it doesn't mean that it's automatically going to be successful, but it means that nobody is staying in your, standing in your way and these gatekeepers are, are gone. You're the only one who can stop you. Hmm. Well, well, let me ask you this about that specifically. With the barrier to entry being so low, that means anybody can start, but... What I'm curious about is what your thoughts are on talent and quality in all of this. Two things. One, I think the market helps figure that out. I think for the things that are really bad, they will continue to be really bad. Um, for people who don't understand taste and understand design, uh, that will continue to be the case and, and the cream will rise to the top. But more importantly than that is even thinking about the market judging quality or talent, it's less about that. It's more about everything is fragmented into the tiniest, tiniest possible pieces. So everyone wants commercial success, but there's no such thing as commercial success anymore. If you think about um, anyone can carve off their little corner of the universe. So there's a great podcast that I love called long form. And I just listened to, uh, they interviewed Buzz Bissinger, the author of Friday Night Lights, and a few other things. Now, if you look at the the people that Longform interviews, most people wouldn't recognize most of their names, and most people don't listen to Longform. It's not, you know, This American Life, but it does fine because the people that listen to Longform love Longform content, and so I think it's less about, you know. It, I don't think it's a problem that the the bar has the bar to in, the barrier to entry has gotten so low, because in some sense the market sorts out the quality. But more important than that, everything is completely fragmented. And if you have a podcast for left-handed Bulgarian folk dancers, you can find all twelve hundred left-handed Bulgarian folk dancers because of the connection power of the internet. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you can be successful. Well, if any of you are left-handed Bulgarian folk dancers out there listening, I really would like to hear from you because that sounds like a fascinating career. <laughs> now, you can find anyone you need to. You can find your niche. You can go deep and you can connect with the people. And that's, you know, I know we were talking in the pre-show about avatars and reaching specific people. And I think that's that's really, really important is, is who do you want to lead and how do you reach them? So it's I always like to think about it in, instead of top down, which is how we've been taught to think about the media, right? How do, how do I get in the New York Times and how do I go top down and reach everybody? I like to think of it as bottom up, which is make a list, make a list of the hundred people, first 10 and then a hundred and then a thousand, right? There's the great 
blog post by Kevin Kelly called A Thousand True Fans, right? If you, yeah. if you have a thousand true fans who buy everything you put out, you know, think about the brands that you're a true fan of. Lots of people are true fans of specific, you know, bands and things like that. Um, if you buy everything they put out, a, a given entity only needs a thousand true fans. And I think starting to learn to think about the world in that bottom up sort of way, as opposed to the top down, uh, helps, helps, you know, dilute the power of the gatekeepers. Mm, I love that. So we're going to get done here really shortly, but I want to ask you a question that I've been very personally curious about, uh, which is about the way you approach relationships and the way you approach connecting with people. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you've been a, a consistent referral source for amazing guests on The Unmistakable Creative. I know about a lot of people because of you. And I really want to hear your thoughts on this and wondering if that is by design, what we can take away from that, what we can learn from that, and what that means for our lives. Sure. I I guess I'm fortunate in that I've always loved meeting new people. I've always been, I mean, I don't know that on the introvert extrovert spectrum, and I really think it is a spectrum. Um, I love you know Susan Cain and her and her book Quiet is is amazing, and really was was a a great gift and a great sort of license to a lot of introverts out there. But I don't think it's binary. I do think it's it's a spectrum, and certainly some days I'm more introverted and some days I'm more extroverted, but. I've always loved meeting new people, hearing interesting stories. I mean, if I get in a cab or an Uber or a, or a Lyft, I would rather have an interesting conversation with the driver than, you know, scroll through my Facebook updates. And so I've always been the kind of person. But but more than that, the thing that really gives me joy is connecting other people to each other. I love meeting new people. And I found that, you know, one of the best ways to deepen a relationship is to, you know, I think it's Zig Ziglar who said, you know, you can have anything you want in life if you help other people get what they want in life. And what I've found is making quality introductions, not quantity. I don't introduce 50 people a day. There are certainly people that, that do that, and I think that, that dilutes it. But I think the kind of introductions, like sending the right people to tell their story on your podcast, the right introductions to the, the startups to investors or the, the people that need to know each other for specific reason. That's kind of a litmus test for me is there need, for me, there needs to be additional context other than you should know you. Mm. Um, there needs to be, you should know you because X and you should know you because Y. And if I don't have kind of an X and a Y, I either figure that out or I don't make the introduction. So it's like, how can one person help the other? Now, if the sort of social status or power or reach or if it's a guest on a show maybe maybe it's only one way but i rarely rarely ever make an introduction that's just like you're both awesome and you should know each other because there are lots of awesome people out there and without that context it it creates the need for those two people to connect without any sort of uh reason or agenda even if they are both interesting people right so i think getting good at that and sort of being good at and, and this sounds kind of tactical, but using any number of different tools out there to better understand how you're connected to the world. And are you connected to the people that you want to be, like the things we talked about earlier? You know, your perfect day, week, month. Well, who are the people you need to meet to, to do that? Um, 
And so there's a, there's a lot of tools out there. I like contextually, um, you know, you can use all sorts of online tools, but having a better understanding of who you know and making, you know, one, one good, maybe a, a simple goal would be just one a week. If once a week you could make a really pointed, specific, contextual, valuable introduction, that's 52 in a year, and I guarantee that that will come back to you. And, and if one a week, um, you know, if you can do more than one a week, that that's great. But I think if you're the kind of person that can improve the lives of others by making relevant connections, because we all need relevant connections, right? And you and I, both, Srini, both, you know, uh, we could all use more really good connections. One really fun thing we did um, that I, that I think is an interesting real life version of this is uh, we were at a retreat with Jonathan Fields in Costa Rica, and at the end of the retreat, there was about thirty five people there, and they were all at, at the beginning of the week. We didn't all know each other, right? We all came with either by ourselves or with one other person, but there were these basically thirty three or thirty four other strangers. And at the end of the week, and it was critical that he did it at the end of the week we did what's called a reciprocity ring. So he had to sit in a circle and say, your job is to ask for something. Your job is to say, what's one thing that you need? And then you have 34 people listening that can help you with that. And we heard the most obscure sort of asks. And because there was 34 other people, and then you take their connections and network one step further, Somebody wanted, you know, tickets to Oprah and then somebody's <laughs> cousin's friend's brother, whatever, was a producer on the Oprah show or whatever and, and got, you know, got the tickets or like when you take 34 people and then their network and who they know and then their secondary network, it was pretty fascinating to watch this relatively small group of people who four days earlier didn't know each other helping each other in this way. So I think, I think it's a really neat thing if, you know, maybe maybe we'll tinker with it at instigator or whatever. If anyone's <laughs> it, read it might my be a little mind. big with sixty, yeah. But uh, you, you but read I, my mind. I was literally thinking. By the way, we are going to completely steal that idea. <laughs> Absolutely, it's great. Yeah, I mean, with sixty people at instigator. You know, you set a little timer. People can't go on and on. You say what you need, and when you got fifty nine other people, uh, and and when you you know credit to you getting the right people in the room. And setting up that kind of environment and doing it at the end, literally every single person at least had two or three people raise their hand and say, I think I can help with that. And so I thought that was a really neat uh, way of connection. And like, like Seth talks about, you know, we live in a connection economy now. So the more connection, relevant connection, the better. Brilliant. Well, Clay, as a longtime listener and consistent referral source of amazing guests, <laughs> you know how we're going to finish. Yes. What is it that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it's intention. I think it's, we live in a time now where literally everything is in front of us. We have all the opportunity in the world. If you own a factory, you, if you own a laptop, you own a factory, the means of production, you can do anything you want to. And so it's about grabbing that possibility and acting with intention and waking up every day and building your dreams there's a there's a great quote I love that says, you know, if you don't get busy building your dreams, somebody else is going to hire you to build theirs. And, you know, with my path at Accenture for 10 years, I was hired to, you know, build somebody else's dream. And then I finally escaped and I'm doing my own. So I think being unmistakable is about being intentional about how you live your life 
how you do your work and how you connect people. Well, um, I'm not even going to touch it. There's really nothing else left for me to say. So you guys have gotten a preview of a little bit of what is going to happen at the instigator experience. Clay is one of the speakers. Clay, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights and your story with our listeners. It's about time. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Shane. I'm sorry it took so long. Yeah. And uh, for those of you guys listening, visit the instigatorexperience.com. I will link up anything that Clay has mentioned in the show notes, and we will wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.